Hey everyone, welcome back to Ascend Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we are in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 reads, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you read, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise? In leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. In the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it, only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go ahead, work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same thing. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of heaven before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe him. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same thing to them. Finally he sent his son, saying to them, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. 
When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? They said to them, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who it falls on, this stone, will be broken into pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables, they perceived that he was speaking about him. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. For today's nugget of truth, we're going to be focusing in here on the middle section of this chapter, specifically where Jesus curses the fig tree. Uh, And this is a puzzling event for many people in terms of what's taking place, because it seems like Jesus in some way is passing judgment on a plant. But we're keyed in quickly to see that this event is not necessarily just focused on the physical here, Uh, but as a greater understanding of what's going on spiritually. And so the plant that is represented here is a judgment upon the nation of Israel. What's taken place is explained even further in the parable of the tenants in 33 through the end of the chapter. But Jesus walks to this fig tree during the season in which you should expect to find figs on it and finds none there. What he does next is he pronounces a curse upon this, which causes it to instantly wither. This is something that's so strange and it draws the attention of the disciples. What's taking place here is clearly miraculous and it's something that's straight up puzzling the disciples. I mean, this is like a jaw on the ground moment because he pronounced judgment on this plant and it withers away at once. As we think about what he's doing here, what he's really doing is pronouncing judgment once again on the nation of Israel. But as you look at what his response is, his response is not so much focused on the judgment but upon focused upon the disciples' understanding of what he just did. So he takes this brief aside to focus on the need of his disciples to really understand what's taking place. He says here, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you'll be able to do greater things than these, basically. And so they are going to be taught about what their faith is going to allow them to do. But as he focuses, he's focusing on the disciples and their need of understanding of what the miraculous power that's going to be given to them is going to allow them to do. Now, this next little example here is clearly metaphorical. We don't read anywhere about people saying, take a mountain and move it and throw it into the sea. But he's saying, I am going to show you that what is considered impossible is possible with God. Hopefully that's not a new thought for you. Hopefully you remember back to Matthew 19, 26, where he said that again. He's teaching the disciples here about how great and miraculous his power is, as well as the power that will be bestowed upon them later. And what I find to be fascinating about this specific passage and the way in which it's used by many teachers nowadays, it's used as a indictment upon individuals for their lack of faith. And so many people, faith healers, others who are uh, doing ministry for what I would consider to be improper motives, will use examples and verses like this to display that their people don't have enough faith. That's why God is not answering their prayers. It's not, once again, saying that God will allow you to do all of these things because we have to look at the rest of the teachings of Scripture to understand what it means that whatever we ask in prayer, if we ask it with enough faith, we will receive it. 
Because the rest of the teaching of Scripture teaches us that God answers prayers that are according to his will and according to his perfect plan. So we can't just use this as a magical verse that says, well, God, I have so much faith that you have to answer my prayer. Because the faith is in God and his will, his way, and his providence. And what we understand then is that the prayer according to his faith will always come back in accordance with what God's will is. So it's not a magical thing that is going to allow us to get anything we want, but that's the way in which it's being shown by many false teachers who are saying, your situation is not changing because you don't have enough faith. Your grandmother, she still has cancer because you don't have enough faith. You're still struggling because you don't have enough faith. Give us more money, follow us, do these different things to show your faith, and then hopefully that will take place. And so they're abusing these people who are seeking God, much in the same way that Jesus is pronouncing judgment on the rest of the nation of Israel. And he wants to get back to that, and he will get back to that for the rest of the chapter, but he's focused here on his disciples, saying, do you understand the totality of the power that you will possess? Because right now you're marveling at what I've done to this small little fig tree, and you're going to be able to do so much more by the power of God, because nothing will truly be impossible for you as you give your life to the Lord and you seek to see lives transformed and lives changed and manifestations of God's presence and glory in your midst. They're going to be part of miraculous healings and many other crazy things that are going to take place in the book of Acts when they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. But right now they're sitting here marveling over what Jesus says, this is such a small thing that I've just done. And really it's illustrative of what I'm trying to display to you about the lack of faith of the people that are around us. We're seeking to find that faith, and it's not the faith that we would expect to find it. He goes on in the chapter to say that it's truly the faith is displayed greater in the tax collectors and the prostitutes than it is in the nation of Israel and the religious teachers that are there. So while Jesus is focused on fulfilling the will of God in his life, he's not stopping from teaching those around him about the importance of those things. And I think that's the real challenge of what I take as I see this passage playing out is uh, the understanding that Jesus knows, hey, I'm needing to give this message of judgment so that these people are without excuse for not responding to the way in which God has revealed himself to them. So while he continues to call them out on this, sadly what we see is this actually continues to harden the hearts of the religious leaders rather than calling them to repentance. And so we need to understand that while we're living on mission for God, doing what we're doing for God, knowing that it is his glory that we're seeking to expand, his mission that we're focused on, we need to understand that we also need to be bringing others along in the understanding of what we're doing. And a big part of that is what we're trying to accomplish with this podcast, speaking God's word, working through these things, and talking with others about it, helping explain that to them. And so I hope you're taking advantage of that opportunity as you're studying and listening to God's word, as you're looking for these questions that you're answering for yourself about walking with others in community and helping them to learn what's going on. The disciples are a perfect example of this. No matter how long they were with Jesus, there were still elements of what they were experiencing, what they were seeing, and what they were living that they needed someone to come alongside and explain to them in greater detail. And what we need to understand is we don't have to have all of the answers, but we just have to be faithful to be explaining what God is exposing us to, to those around us, helping them to see the truth, helping them to see what God is trying to do in our midst, and helping them to grow in their understanding of faith. 
So I was going to look at another section of this scripture. I was going to look at the triumphal entry. But instead, I'll just answer a quick question that comes up and arises quite often with people that are here. And so what does this word Hosanna mean? Specifically, it means save us, we pray. And so if we're to understand why are they using this word in this context, the more we dig into that word, the more that we see that it's related greatly to the celebration of the Passover that's taking place. And so it would be part of one of the Psalms that they're reading, but they're really literally seeing and saying, we pray that Jesus is the one who is coming in here to save us in the same way that God saved us from the Egyptians. So as they're seeking this uh, Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, they're wanting this physical salvation that they believe he's going to offer. And it's ironic that it's the physical that is what is so focused upon here, but it's not actually what he's going to provide. He is going to provide salvation. He is going to provide what they have said to save us, we pray, but it's not going to be in the way in which they've thought of it. And so I was going to really focus on that today, but that's a common question. What does Hosanna mean? Hopefully that helps you if that was one of your questions. As always, look for another question, something that you would like to learn more about this passage. Find either some tools or some people who can help answer that question for you so that you're growing in your understanding of Scripture and hopefully sharing that with others around you as we've already talked about today in this lesson. And know as you go today, you are loved. You're